is our children learning? You didn't build that. Because you'd be in jail. All men and women created by the goal, you know the, you know the thing. Those are the leaders of the past, but here at Gen Z GOP, we are looking to the future. Join us as we discuss how we can create a party that is worthy of our generation. Please clap. Welcome back, everybody, to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Gen Z GOP Podcast. I'm John Olds, and I'm alongside my co-host, El Kalish. And today, we are going to be talking about some of the different hypocrisies and shortcomings of Democratic governors during the COVID-19 crisis. And we're joined uh, to discuss this topic by Nick DeCouzlian, uh, our good friend and Gen Z GOP member out in California, and Carter Morgan, our VP of technology, who's currently living in the great state of Florida. So I would love to kick it over quickly to, to Carter and then Nick, just to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, we'll get started. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast guys. So with that, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, it's great to be here. Um, like, uh, like John mentioned, I'm Carter and uh, I live in Florida. Um, and I think we've all been following the pandemic and sort of the, the different reactions um, from the different governors. Um, and I've just been so thrilled at the way our governor, Governor DeSantis, has handled it. And it's just been great to have a governor that has been living in reality and recognizing the fundamental need to do something aside from sitting in your home for, you know, 24-7. And I think we've seen the results have, have borne fruit and that he's, uh, th things are going great here in Florida. Our economy's running great. Our uh, COVID cases and mortality aren't really any worse than the national average. Um, and he hasn't been embroiled in any scandals, unlike our good friends Cuomo and Newsom. Um, so it's, it's really been a privilege to weather the pandemic out here in this state. I'm looking forward to talking a bit about that. Yeah. And so I think that Nick might have a little bit different of a perspective and a little bit of a different experience. So Nick, do you want to give us your input? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I have a lot of friends in Florida. So, um, you know, if I had a dime for every single time I heard them comment about our governor, I'd be, you know, pretty rich, although California would take most of that away with our taxes. Um, but I, 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 uh, I, I wish that I could have something good to say, but um, I, I don't. I, my name's Nick. I'm from the Central Valley of California. So we're the one region that actually backs the recall of Governor Newsom or Governor Newsom, not Governor, Governor Newsom. And um, unfortunately, our entire response has been through the governor. He's taken executive action. He's bypassed all of the California constitutional um, laws. He's put emergency. He's been on emergency, uh, you know, aid right now for almost a year and a half. Um, and it's been just unreal to see this uh, to see this unfold. And it all came out with uh, the French Laundry as well as as that became national news. So. I think that we all understand that governors in the beginning of 2020 were met with an unprecedented challenge. I mean, across the board, who, who could have seen COVID coming, right? And obviously, the, the undertaking of dealing with a pandemic, whether it's a public health response, an economic response, just a public trust responsibility, all of these governors were dealing with the threat, the the situation of a lifetime. And I think that we all understand that, but how different governors went about it is there's pretty stark contrasts in how they did that. And I want to start off our discussion with 
some interesting statistics about uh, Messrs. Cuomo and Newsom. Uh, the first is that in a poll taken at the end of March, 53% of New Yorkers approved of the job that Andrew Cuomo was doing. And in at, also at the end of March, a poll of Californians found that 56% of people didn't want Governor Newsom to be recalled. And we have followed as Republicans and as young people the shortcomings of their COVID responses. And I I want to start off by talking about how Republicans can better oppose their sort of asinine responses to COVID. Yeah, John, I think you bring up a good point. Um, And I think that, you know, a big theme of this that we're going to be talking about through the entire podcast was that at one point we had pandemic response. And then at one point it turned into reactionary response to anything that was going on in the name of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And so I think that, you know, the biggest thing that we can do is try and be less reactionary. Um, But I think that that's something that overall the Republican Party kind of isn't doing a great job of right now is trying to combat that reactionary nature. Um, So, you know, speaking from that perspective is sometimes you have to come at it from a level-headed mess. Um, And I think it's really, really easy for us to just point out hypocrisy and point out the double narrative. Um, But then at the end of the day, we always do have to come back to the understanding that that's always going to exist. Um, And so as we go about this, I think it's in the sense of when you look at Governor Newsom and you look at Governor Cuomo, it's not just, oh, I don't like them as people. I don't like them because they're Democrats. Um, There was a lot of lines that were drawn in the sand that aren't even being talked about because people would rather talk about how we don't like them as people or how we don't like them in a political nature instead of pointing out the facts. I agree. And I think um, one thing that we can do to sort of to knock these guys off their perch is we have to provide a better option. Um, and the Republican Party needs to be more than a party of just cultural wars and cultural grievances. And I think Ron DeSantis is really showing how we can be that way. The media is eager to carve Ron DeSantis as the new Trump, but I I don't think he is the new Trump. I think he's better than Trump because Ron DeSantis is incredibly competent. You know, the the media has tried to portray Ron DeSantis as someone who just doesn't care about the COVID crisis. That couldn't be further from the truth as someone who lives here. Um, You know, we followed him uh, during the initial lockdowns. We only locked down for about 50 days here. Um, And he was very methodical in what opened up first, um, how many people could go, and we did it slowly and in stages. He was incredibly methodical about protecting our seniors first. And even when things started to open up, it was safe things first. It was, we opened up the beaches, but not the gyms. And then when we start to saw that there wasn't a huge difference between in COVID cases between states with fewer restrictions and states with more restrictions, that's when Governor DeSantis um, removed all restrictions. And and he trusted the communities to make their own decisions. And some communities have mask mandates, some don't. Um, But I think the, uh, what what I'm trying to get at here is that Governor DeSantis has signaled how to competently manage the pandemic from a conservative viewpoint. Um, And and we need to be proposing more substantive solutions like he has. Yeah, no, no, Carter, I I totally agree with you, and but I do think that DeSantis has had the ability to govern more, uh, and be portrayed. Or, you know, the media will portray him as you know, as you saw with sixty Minutes, as a more Trumpian candidate. But he is a Republican, and he's been acting like a Republican, and I think that that's great, and I think that that's you know what everyone here would want him, uh, want their governor to act like. But in a state like California, 
where the Republican Party is diminished to third party status. I think we recently just got above the no party preference um, percentage in our state. We need to look at people that can govern from the middle, but um, not be beholden to the uh, big corporate left and the unions like Governor Newsom um, is. A fun fact for you guys is, is that Newsom is, if he was in the state legislature in California, he'd be the most moderate Democrat there was. So he is a very, very moderate Democrat. The uh, Governor Brown before him was a very moderate Democrat. And what Republicans have missed is that they are not um, doing a good job at recruiting candidates. California is only 36% white, yet all of our major uh, gubernatorial candidates are all white. We need to try to find someone that can reach out to the Hispanic community and other communities in our state. Nick, that's first of all, that's a really terrifying bit of reality that, that Gavin Newsom would in any universe be considered a moderate. But I think that that brings up, you bring up a good point about engaging with, with new populations and, and reaching out to new folks. But I also think that one of the things that's so glaring about Cuomo, one of the things that's so glaring about Newsom is the inconsistencies of their restrictions. Because I think that a lot of Americans sort of understand at a, at a basic gut level that we're living in a unique time. And they're at, at least at, at some points of the pandemic, depending on where you were and at what time of year it was, there was a need for some sort of public health response. And people were, by and large, willing to go along with that. But I think what one of the issues has been is when you see Governor Newsom going out to dinner at a time when he's going up at his press conference and saying, don't go to indoor dining, or Governor Cuomo is prioritizing COVID testing when they were so scarce, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, that's something that should be just at a gut level, that's inconsistent with common sense. That's inconsistent um, from a public health perspective, and yet Republicans weren't able to to capitalize on that. So, yeah, Carter, what, what do you what do you say about that? Well, I think it speaks to um, there are some in our party, and let's face it, there are some in both parties that are interested in fueling the this constant uh, partisan bickering, right, and in polarizing our nation even further. But we're seeing that that strategy may benefit some in the short term, but it's locking us out of bigger states like California, Washington, New York, things like that. Um, I, I think uh, we as a party should be trying to bring down that level of discord and and create more of a, a, a bipartisan consensus. Um, I would love to see the day where we have another Ronald Reagan right, that wins all, that wins 49 of the 50 states. Um, but that's just not possible in our country right now. And I think the moment we as a party recognize that we will benefit more from building a, uh, a less polarized consensus than continuing our polarization, that's when we're going to start breaking into some of these states. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, I totally agree, Carter. And and to be fair, John, I, I, I do think that Republicans have jumped on the uh, opportunity I mean, Newsom has been facing recalls since he's been uh, uh, elected as governor of California. I think he's faced six recalls altogether in his time in California. And this French laundry fiasco, um, it, it really spurred these two million uh, these two million signatures. And this isn't just Republicans. And and I, I know that the Democrats and uh, Newsom's team has already started uh, pushing out rhetoric that it is Trump Republicans and things like that. But I work with Democrats. Um 
and they all want him gone as well. Um, but the unfortunate thing is that they want him gone in place of someone further left. I think that's the main the main issue. But I, I do think that Republicans have uh, jumped on an opportunity here uh, to call out that hypocrisy. Nick, I'm really glad that you brought this up because that's what I was going to kind of transition into and talk about when it comes to Gavin Newsom's recall effort. Um, and I think it does come down to that, right? And I think that there are folks that want to replace him with someone that is more left. Um, but I also think that there are folks that just don't really care who he's replaced with. Um, obviously they're going to prefer if a D's next to their name, um, as opposed to an R. But at the same time, I think the problem with Newsom is that Newsom finally just made people upset enough. Um, you know, there's all of these stories about how Newsom made it very, very clear that he wanted to listen to what the teachers unions had to say more than what the parents of kids were saying. Um, and I think that California is a really great example of where you've got a state that has really, really harsh lockdowns, um, really, really harsh COVID policies, um, and they're lasting a lot longer than everyone else, right? So California is kind of like the kid that is like sitting inside at recess, watching everyone else play outside. Um, and you're sitting there and you're wondering why, like why, what's going on? And then you go online and you see that your cases are just as bad as everyone else that's opened up, um, that, that it hasn't slowed down because of any of the really, really restrictive policies. Uh, you get to like month six or seven of, you know, having state home orders and then things being reintroduced and then seeing your governor go out and do something else. And it starts to get frustrating. And I think people finally got fed up with it. Um, and so I think that's what was kind of exciting about the, you know, recall, gov the recall movement with Governor Newsom right now is that it does show that eventually your promises and your rhetoric don't mean enough. Um, so Gavin Newsom can get up there all day long and talk about all these things and all these great things that you do, um, but there does become a point where people don't care. Um, and if that can happen in somewhere like California, I think that that can happen everywhere else. Um, but, you know, something that we brought up before and something that, you know, John has said is that we didn't really see Gavin Newsom's popularity numbers go down. Um, so how is it that 2 million people in a bipartisan effort to remove him as governor um, happens, but his popularity stays the exact same. And to be completely honest with you, as a, a non-California resident, I couldn't tell you, but it's been really, really eye-opening to watch all of it. Um, and I was kind of proud of Californians and the Californian citizens to see them say, no, like enough is enough. I'm done listening to you have all of these talking points. I want to see you take action. Um, and so I think that you saw as the recall numbers continued to grow, California opened up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, and it's kind of like that carrot and stick kind of an effort. Um, and so I think Gavin Newsom was saying, okay, well, I'm going to get recalled. So what can I do to get people back on my side? And it's, oh, I'll slowly open up. Um, and I think that goes back to the point of just being reactionary. Um, and it works sometimes. So that, that's funny you bring up the hypocrisy, L, because uh, what exactly what 60 Minutes had accused uh, DeSantis of doing, it, you know, for a couple hundred thousand dollars, Newsom has been doing it for, uh, you know, months on end during this pandemic. I know United Health has received over $220 million uh, in no-bid contracts uh, because the governor obviously uh, can reward those things um, to companies. And, and those are all companies that have been um, giving him more and more money, especially as the recall has heated up. I know that Newsom was very quiet on Proposition 22, which was the Uber and DoorDash uh, initiative, if you guys are familiar with that, 
Um, it, it allowed that, that Uber and DoorDash would not have to make their employ or their drivers employees. So it's it would save them a lot of money. Newsom did not take a stance on that, um, and in return, he's received uh, a nice uh, six-figure check from DoorDash and Uber. Uh, and, and this is how these politicians stay in power. Uh, they appease these corporations, especially in Silicon Valley. You see Padilla, you see uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, they have a lot of ties to the uh, Northern California and, and Silicon Valley. So that's how these people are staying in power and um, even through all of this hypocrisy. So, No, Nick, I think you bring up um, a really, really interesting point there too um, in the sense of what gets called out and what doesn't. Um, and I think that, you know, that's really, really enlightening. Um, I didn't even know that, to be completely honest, about the stuff with United Health and all of those things. Um, and it makes it makes me wonder, like, where was that 60 Minutes segment? Um, and how is $100,000 from Publix uh, different than several million dollars handed out in no-bid contracts? Nick, I was just thinking about what you were saying. Governor DeSantis, who I, again, I'll, I'll uh, sim for Governor DeSantis all day long. It's been a pleasure uh, living under his governance. Um, but you're right. He, he's probably not the type of figure that would translate exactly to California. And I think this speaks to the need for the Republican Party needs to embrace being a big tent party. We've seen that model work fantastically in the Northeast. We have some, some very, very popular, um, more liberal Republican governors up there. And there are some members of our party who would who get frustrated with that, right? That these people aren't as conservative as can possibly be. What I'll say is that a liberal Republican is better than a standard Democrat any day of the week. And so when we try to, con- to assert these rigid ideological purity attests for every candidate across the nation, we're only shooting ourselves in the foot. And I think we're leaving a lot of um, winnable seats on the table because of that. Well, co- I mean, Carter, you bring up a great point here in the sense of, you know, things vary by where you are with location. So bring that back to COVID and what we saw here. Of course, Governor DeSantis's response to COVID is going to be different than that of Como's. And of course, that's going to be different of that of California. And that's not even because, oh, they're from different political parties, but that's because you have different needs. You have different things. You have different population densities. You have different, um, you have different you have geographical differences that kind of play into what you do with um, COVID response and all of these things. And I think that that's really where it got a problem for Gavin Newsom was, is that he took that liberty at first in the sense of, oh, well, there's so many people in California, especially in LA, and when LA was that huge hotspot. So at first, some of the COVID restrictions, whether you believe in them or not, did make sense. Um, in responding to what the caliber of things were. Um, but then eventually they didn't. Eventually you saw that litmus test of, okay, this is a policy that is necessary because of statistics and because of actual science and everything that is going on. Um, and then you have something that turns into, okay, well, this is just kind of pure hypocrisy, complete government control, makes no little sense. Um, I mean, I think at one point California closed parks, um, so you couldn't even go hang out outside. And it's like, okay, well, what are you doing by doing that? Are you telling people to then go hang out inside in their houses? Um, and so at some point we lost sensible COVID policy or a sensible reaction to something. And then it just fully played into, all right, this is my agenda. This is how I am. This is the way that I think I need to control things. And that really worsened the COVID response. You saw cases get worse. And I think that's a huge point. And Carter brought this up earlier is that 
Governor DeSantis, um, and even I'm, I'm going to give props here. It's even you know Governor J.B. Pritzker. Um, you sometimes you live and you learn. And Governor DeSantis said, "Okay, cool. We've done this for a while. Now we're opening back up." And like you said, you open up outside first before you open up gyms. And then you didn't see that happen in California. You didn't see that happen in New York. And the only time that things kind of strategically got open was strategically opening things to be able to improve approval ratings, not to actually be able to improve the lives of their citizens in the sense of something that is going on with COVID. Nick Nick brought up something earlier that I that I think is really fascinating, uh, talking about how Go- Governor Newsom essentially governed through executive action. And obviously, that's not a, a precedent that we want to set, uh, whether it's at the state level or the national level. But I do think that governors did need to use that policy tool, that policy making tool when things needed to move really fast, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. I know, so, and then going to Carter's point, talking about how there are liberal Republican governors or moderate Republican governors up in the up in the Northeast. And I spent most of the COVID-19 pandemic in Massachusetts with Governor Charlie Baker. And I know he gets a lot of flack for being a lib or a rhino and okay, that's sort of a separate conversation. But what Governor Baker did was essentially use common sense throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire pandemic. And one of the things that he was able to do is use consistent messaging. And he was governing by executive action. And there were sort of some, some issues on the fringes there. But by and large, he was consistent with his messaging. He was transparent. And he, he made a lot of good results happen um, for the state. Our cases never were truly bad. Our hospitals were overrun, but they weren't LA levels of overrun. And then as we started to reopen our state, you should have seen the heads of the teachers unions when he said that we're going to reopen the schools to five days a week. It was like he committed some sort of a hate crime. And really what it was is he actually implemented a pooled testing program in the schools that had a lower than 1% positivity rate. Now I'm getting really wonky, so sorry to go off on a tangent, but I could talk about this stuff all day. But essentially, he used data, facts, and common sense. He messaged to the public. He was transparent about it. And he has really high approval ratings. He's almost at 70%. Uh, for his COVID approval rating and his overall approval rating. And it's because he he used his brain and didn't message with some sort of virtue signaling. He wasn't beholden to the special interests uh, that controlled Democratic politicians in New York and California. And he got results and people appreciate it. That's what people uh, on the Republican side should really take to heart is that by and large, people just want government that leaves them alone and that they can trust. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, John. Um, and I, I hear about Charlie Baker all the time. And another name I hear all the time, uh, and, and I lived for a brief time uh, uh, near near Maryland. So obviously, uh, Larry Hogan comes to mind. Um, and, and in terms of, uh, I think that Maryland is a little over two to one Democrat to Republican, but he was able to win because he didn't worry about um, all of these social um, issues and cultural issues that usually get caught up with these Republican politicians in liberal states. But he focused on, hey, uh, they've raised taxes a bunch, um, you know, businesses are failing, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, you know, let, let's go with someone with common sense policies that will allow business to uh, really flourish in Maryland. And he won. You know, of course, he had the name recognition from his his father, who was a who was an elected official. But um, it, it's just about um, gov- governing with a common sense and not being beholden to uh, these special interests. And we, we like to say Democrat politicians are beholden to it. And we both know that Republican politicians are beholden to it as well. But going back to Elle's point and uh, Carter's point, I, j- just um, just briefly. So I, I could not go to my favorite park this summer, unfortunately, this past summer. I was really upset. Um, McHenry Park, it was very, very, very upsetting. Um, but I couldn't have gone if I wanted to. And that is because during the summer, uh, we had an absolutely terrible fire season. And we're about to have another one again. And the media is not talking about it. But um, Florida understands that prescribed uh, burns are the way to kind of stop this fire nonsense from happening and the fires from getting out of control. Um, And so Florida has uh, done 2 million acres of prescribed burns. Okay, just makes sense. It it, it just makes sense. Um, California has done, uh, I think, 44,000 acres. And California has a lot more acreage than Florida does. Why do you ask? It's because of the environmental regulations. So people are going to die. There's going to be a lot more land loss, a lot more um, uh, homes and uh, families destroyed because of stupid environmental regulations like this one and something that could be totally, totally, um, you know, um, it wouldn't have to happen if they were just to implement these things. So during the summer, it was really tough to be in California. You couldn't be inside with friends and you couldn't go outside or else you might catch on fire or you couldn't breathe. So, um, Carter, do you have anything to say about that? I, I think it's funny. You're talking about how you couldn't go to your favorite park. I spent the entire summer at my favorite park, Walt Disney World. Um, and just the contrast. Low blow. The, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that Disneyland has been closed for a year now, um, even though we've seen a, a perfectly viable, sustainable model in Florida of how to reopen theme parks safely. Um, and I think that sort of what we're talking about speaks to why I'm a Republican and why I fell in love with conservatism in the Republican Party. I'm a little older than some people on this call. My first vote was for Mitt Romney in 2012. Um, and, and the reason I, I fell in love with, uh, with his campaign and, and the message that he had was, um, I feel like progressives and Democrats, I have lots of progressive Democrat friends, great people, good intentions for the most part, right? But they take the world as how they want it to be where the best Republicans and the best conservatives take the world with how it is. Um, And I think it speaks to that common sense governance we're talking about, right? In a perfect pandemic world, right? We all would stay inside for 18 months and never talk to anyone and COVID would die out on its own. It's not realistic. Governor DeSantis recognized that it wasn't realistic. It's not realistic to, you know, to close the entire economy to prevent the spread of the disease. Um, And that's what I would love to see more of in the Republican Party, right, is that um, is is taking that message to people of we are dealing with the world as how it is, we know how to solve the real problems, um, and and being sort of the adults in the room. I think that's a real winning message for a lot of America. I totally agree, John, and not just common sense uh, from our leaders and our elected officials, but common sense from the voters as well. So I, I can... I can let you know that uh, I'm sure you guys all know David Valadejo. He is a uh, moderate Republican who uh, lost in 2018 due to the the blue wave. Um, 
but then he uh, won it back. He won back his seat in 2020 in a Biden plus 11 district. That's blue plus 11. Um, and he still won by about 5,000 votes. Well, because he voted for the impeachment of, of uh, Donald Trump, there has now been, I think, one or two Republicans who are uh, trying to primary him and uh, the Fresno State College Republicans, which is which is in his uh, district, they have also denounced him. And I think that this just I think this shows that not only do our leaders need to have common sense, um, but the voters do as well. You know, it's it's kind of that funny thing that the Democrats keep saying that they're going to replace Joe Manchin with someone progressive. Well, as soon as they, you know, primary him and if he ends up losing, I mean, the Democrat will get their butt kicked in West Virginia. So I, I think that we need to have common sense when it comes to voting for people and understanding that if they're on our side 98 percent of the time, why are we going to nitpick at that 2 percent? You know, it's just it's just asinine. No, Nick, I think you bring up a really good point, too. Um, and I think this is something that I like to harp on a lot. Um, John's heard me rant about this several times um, in our late night phone calls. Um, but it's the sense of we really do kind of need to go back to our localist roots um, and away from this like cult of personality type thing. Um, I think at the end of the day, the current Republican Party is on this path of becoming everything we hate about the Democrats. Um, I know that like me growing up, one of the things that I absolutely despised about election cycles was seeing how many Democrats got like celebrities to be able to endorse them. Like at the end of the day, I don't care if someone that was on like some reality TV show is telling me to vote for someone for president, right? Like I want to see what the change is going to be in my life. Um, but the problem is when we put so much stake in personality, we see what happens with Governor Cuomo and Governor Newsom is that they commit atrocities. I mean, we have Governor Cuomo in New York who has how many sexual assault allegations against him now? Um, and we have all these people being like, oh, well, it's fine. And we've barely seen a dip in his approval rating. And it's disgusting. Um, and then on top of that, he underreported how many people died in nursing homes. Um, not to mention that, but he also instituted a policy in nursing homes in New York where they would be admitted back into general living in nursing facilities without having to even be COVID tested. Um, so someone could be coming from the ICU in a hospital that was, you know, two doors down or not even in the ICU in just general admittance that was literally just a curtain away from someone with COVID that's getting readmitted back into a nursing facility with our nation's most vulnerable. We've seen that over 70% of deaths have come from those over the age of 65. Um, and so we know at the end of the day that if you are in a nursing home where the majority of folks are over the age of 65, any small chance that there is going to be COVID, we need to know because that 70% is looming. Um, so we've seen Governor Cuomo do all of these things. Um, and his approval rating has not dropped at all because at the end of the day, they love Chris Cuomo um, and they love the CNN personality that he was. And that's not even getting into half the stuff that he did. Um, and so that's a huge thing. And I really, really hope that the Republican Party can kind of hang on to some of that not really caring about what someone says, not really caring about the media personality that they are. And I worry that we're going down a path that is getting further and further and further from that um, because we can talk about common sense governance all day long. We can talk about how we have the right policies. And I think that definitely, you know, we saw that with COVID and saw that with small business response and all of those things. I think right now, how many times have the Democrats talked about the PPP? Well, Susan Collins wrote that um, and all of these things. And we can continue to talk about 
about this. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if we let personality take over common sense governance, then we're going to lose what fundamentally differs. And so that's what Carter had said is that at the end of the day, we treat the world for what it is. Um, and you know, I think we do this in terms of a lot of talking points, you know, where the Democrats are like Medicare for all. And we're over here like, yeah, we think everyone should have health insurance. Um, everyone should have access to health care. Um, but it's also a matter of how are we going to pay for that? What's the quality of that care? All of those things like that is a very taking the world as it is, right? Um, and not just what our ideological end goals are. And so I think that, you know, on the path that we're going down right now is we're getting further and further from incremental policy. We're getting further and further from common sense governance and getting more to, oh, well, who'd you vote for? What's your view on Trump? Uh, what's your view on this issue that doesn't matter? Um, and it's not actually looking at your voting record or even looking at the legislation that you've done or the changes that you've made in people's lives. And that happens with Charlie Baker and what we've seen in Massachusetts is people are responding to that. Um, but at the end of the day, Charlie Baker's not getting on CNN and being that person that everyone loves because at the end of the day, everyone loves to call a rhino. Um, but when you look at what he's doing, it's fine and then people like him. Um, and that's what really matters. And so I really hope that we can kind of continue to get back to that, to get back to a localist nature in the sense of what happens in my state and what's happening in my life is more important than what's happening on a national scale. But I'm a little bit worried that we're getting further and further from that and our inability to be able to call out Democratic governors like Cuomo and Newsom who have committed atrocities for the atrocities that they have committed and not just how we like them politically, I think is another sign that we're not going down that right path. Yeah, no, Al, I, I totally agree with that 100%. And I think that this, uh, unfortunately, and I can only speak for the California State Party and the Republicans since I kind of f- follow the politics here, is that, you know, Newsom is not a personality. He's nothing. He is a um, exactly what the Democrat establishment has produced, right? I mean, he is um, related to Pelosi. He was uh, informally adopted into the Getty family, you know, billionaire family. I mean, if if a woke uh, liberals, as they call them, if they want to talk about white privilege, he is the epitome of that. Um, but. He, Here's the problem is that Republicans are looking for a one-stop fix for all of their problems, like a Schwarzenegger, and they're trying to put all of their eggs into one basket. And what they don't understand is that when it comes down to it, we need the Valadejos, we need the Kims, we need the Garcias um, of our entire state and local elected officials as well. We can't just have one guy come in because when that one guy is voted out or if he makes a mistake... There's nothing behind it. And that's exactly what happened with the Republican Party and Trump. So uh, what do you think, Carter? So I think it, uh, it speaks to what you're saying, Nick, about um, it's, and what our founders understood, federalism, right? That every state is different. And I think our party, we, we love federalism, right? And we need to, if we're going to talk the talk, we got to walk the walk. Before we, before we wrap, I, d- I do want to think about this discussion in the context of, of Cuomo and Newsom about taking the world as it is or taking the world as what it ought to be. Because I do think that there's there are times for both. In, in fact, there's, you know, in a crisis when you're dealing with um, a sticky situation, an unprecedented situation, you do definitely want to take the world as it is. When you're responding to an economic crisis or a pandemic or a, a war, you, you need to live in the real world and meet people where they're at. But at the same time, as as conservatives, I do think that if we're going to be some sort of happy warriors 
for, for different things. One of the things that could be a potentially effective antidote to people like Cuomo and Newsom who have these entrenched interests and seemingly immovable popularity levels, no matter what kind of allegations they have against them. And the antidote would be to actually propose a positive vision for, for what it, for what it means to be a Republican and not just opposing everything. And in the good times, we can have sort of an aspirational vision while in the tough times, we're displaying competence and meeting people where they're at. I agree. And, and when I meant, uh, when I said that we take the world as it is, not as, as we wish it to be, that doesn't mean that we don't have bold visions and want a better future for our children. Um, you know, as a father myself, that's all I think about is how can we create a better future you know, for our children? Um, but it means operating within the confines of reality, right? Throughout the COVID pandemic, it's one thing I've thought about during what what was the the big talking point during the uh, the Democratic primaries, right? It was Medicare for all. It was we're going to get rid of the private system. We're going to have a completely federal system. I mean, let's just talk about how disastrous that would be, right? One healthcare system for 350 million people run from the top down, um, and and it doesn't appreciate what we have. And what have we seen from our private system over the course of the COVID pandemic? Three world-class, incredibly effective vaccines. I think the Western world has only produced five vaccines, and three of them have come from the United States private sector. Um, and so, you know, what I love for there to be cheap, easy, high-quality, affordable edu- or healthcare for everyone, absolutely. But we have to consider what we give up to get it. And we know now that what we would have given up are those vaccines, which, you know, I just got my first dose uh, a couple days ago. I mean, these are literally miracles. Um, And so when we talk about proposing a new vision, um, I'm I'm all for bold, ambitious uh, agendas, but I think that's what's going to win people over is um, dealing with that reality and not living in a fantasy land. Most Americans are smart, capable people, and they can tell when someone's trying to sell them a bridge that goes to nowhere. Let's not be those people. Carter, I'm really glad that you brought up the vaccines because I think it's another really perfect example of how Democrats love to be reactionary um, and how we need to call them out on it more. Because we have seen so many Democratic governors now be like, oh, look at our vaccine numbers, all of these things. And these are the same people that not only nine months ago um, were saying that it was completely unrealistic that we were going to get a vaccine within a year. Um, and so that's the thing is like, if you want to live in this idealistic world where you think that everything is going to happen and we're going to legislate based off of what we want our end overall goal to be and not take those incremental steps, then why is it that when something so cool, like a vaccine happens in less than nine months, oh, it was rushed or it was for political pressure. Um, and I think some of that was warranted and kind of what was going on. But at the end of the day, now we're seeing that, oh, there's vaccine hesitancy and all of those things. And it's, oh, well, it's the Republican Party that is, you know, creating all of this vaccine hesitancy. Everyone loves to throw around the statistic that 50% of Republican men don't want to get vaccinated. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's another thing to say, okay, well, Governor Newsom and Governor Cuomo both came out saying, oh, well, the vaccine's not going to happen that quickly. It can never happen. I think there was a headline the other day that, you know, Donald Trump had said that there was going to be 200 million vaccines 
by April. And um, people were like, oh, he completely baselessly said this. Um, and now we're up to like uh, almost 300 million vaccines in April. Um, and so it's the idea of if you're going to be idealistic, be idealistic, but at least be consistent. And so I'm hoping that our party can at least be consistent in understanding that consistency is important and that increments is important and that you can have big end goals and you can have large lofty goals and all of these things. Um, but it takes things to get there. And that's exactly what we saw with the vaccines. We took all of the right steps. We did all the right things we needed to get there. And we did that in incremental policy. Um, and that's how we had this really incredible end goal. Um, and so I think that we almost need to throw the reactionary nature of all of the stuff that's going on with Governor Newsom and Governor Como back and say, look, you did this. This is your bed. Now you need to line it. Um, and this is one thing that I don't think that we need to tone down on that rhetoric of. I think a lot of times I say that we need to stop escalating things. Um, but when it comes to things like this, no, we need to continue to escalate it. We need to be honest about what's going on. We need to stick to our guns and we need to. And I think that if in these moments we don't hold these people accountable, even as people that are in opposition, and we can state the facts and we can state what's going on and we can show the difference, we can show the data points, um, then that's how we win and we hold on to that consistent nature we hold on to being realistic and that's how we show what the difference of our party is um and i just really hope that we don't lose that yeah one last point and ellie you mentioned it just being realistic with our expectations you know stop the virtue signaling virtue signaling that uh, democrats often do and i uh, being from the central valley of california i am too often you know uh, subject to these unrealistic expectations like um when they told us that we had to stay home and we couldn't work, well, the you know the vast majority of our economy in the Central Valley, and if any of you guys had had a fruit or a nut or anything in the past couple of days that has come from the you know uh, right across the street from me or something like that, they couldn't stay home. We can't stay home. We can't um, do these types of things. We can't work remotely because we're out there in the fields working. Uh, you know, agriculture cannot be done remotely. And so for a governor to slap on these types of restrictions and just say, hey, one size fits all, that's not going to work. And that's why the Central Valley is uh, the number one hub uh, or number one proponent for the recall of Governor Newsom. They support the most out of all other regions. And um, another thing is that um, Newsom also said he wanted all electric cars by 2035 when there are maybe one or two electric uh, uh, vehicle stage charging stations here uh, in rural um, Stanislaus County. So it's just being realistic. And I think that if the Republican Party continues with these realistic expectations and being consistent with their message, they will have a winning message. People in California are starting to wake up, which is why this recall is happening. And it's about time the Republicans finally finally took back California. We are just about out of time here in uh, season two, episode four of the Gen Z GOP podcast. I want to thank Carter and Nick for coming on and sharing their different experiences in COVID in, in vastly different states with vastly different governors. I think we had a really good discussion about the different ways forward that we can take to combat some of just the craziness and inconsistency of certain uh, democratic and left-wing governors. But I think the, the theme of tonight is consistency. And being a leader requires showing up and listening to all sides of an argument, bringing together public health people and business people, and making the best decision you can with the best available information. And ultimately, good leadership will 
come from that. And people will understand in times of crises that you're not always dealt the best hand. But in COVID, we were failed by a lot of our leaders who didn't take the best available information and just kind of shot from the hip. And that's unacceptable. And as Republicans, we need to sort of stand athwart that type of illogical reasoning. And uh, with that, as always, feel free to, to follow us on social media at Gen Z GOP org. Go to our website, genzgop.org. Sign up, get involved. We'd love to have you. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Oh,